Hello and welcome to this episode of... <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> yes, that is the actual intro. Go with right. it. No, uh, Everyone, Mike's leading. Can we just let him finish, please? Hello and welcome to this episode of Fitness Unfiltered. Because <laughs> I don't know what's so funny. Behave, everyone. Gosh, it's very difficult today on Fitness Unfiltered listeners or listener. Um because everybody is misbehaving because it's late in the evening it's 8 30 p.m everyone's very tired and um Luke... apparently i'm aggie <clears throat> emma sometimes gets aggie <laughs> late in the she evening Hold her eyes at me then as well Did actually dan called her the agatron <laughs> i'd never <laughs> ever really liked it agatron oh and by the way we have a guest Not we do we have know. a guest I'm going to introduce our guest after I've said hello to Emma and Dan. Emma and Dan, how are you? I'm fine. I am fine. I am also fine. Our guest, Luke Hoffman of the Muscle Mentors. How are you? I am also fine. Excellent. Well done, well done. You nailed it. You nailed it. That was just the right amount of pause and the right amount of sass. Yeah, we don't Um, like it too much enthusiasm. No. No, don't, don't deviate from our formula. Um, <laughs> we're really excited to have Luke on this episode today um, because Luke often talks about stuff on Instagram that I don't understand. Um, so it's nice to have him on to explain it um, and to tell us all about it. I can't, I can't describe enough how he's, he's looking very misty at the moment. Yeah, uh, we need to start again. This is the worst intro ever. Oh, no, Mike, we're rolling with it. It's absolutely it's fine. really bad. Yeah, it's Overall, well, it is now. <laughs> Your previous, previous guest, Amelia, was on our podcast. I gave her possibly the worst introduction ever when she was on ours. What did so, you say? This is my mate, Amelia. That was, yeah, well, that was before we really knew each other. <laughs> and I was just like, I gave some really crappy introduction. And I was just like, Amelia, talk about yourself. <laughs> and she was like, uh. <laughs> okay, so, let's You've done what? Luke, done well. tell us about you. Are we going to go? Okay, that's shit. <laughs> no. Well, firstly, I'm honoured to be here. So thank you, people. Gen- yeah, there's no sarcasm in that voice. I'm genuinely honoured to be here. Um, the, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I actually said this yesterday to someone. I'm not that great at talking about myself. So <laughs> I'll give this a crack. Um, I'm, a, I'm a physique coach based out of the southeast of England, Kent, to be specific, um, and I co-own a business with my friend Callum Raystrick, who I know, I know you know personally, Mike. Actually, well, you all know personally because you all had drinks at Body Power. We uh, did, but um, but yeah, um, and we we own a business called the Muscle Mentors, which is kind of a coaching business and an educational business where we run seminars and stuff for physique coaches looking to expand their knowledge in the areas of things like exercise mechanics and program design and hypertrophy and then in regards to coaching things like the stuff we'll talk about today which we'll be looking at you know different ways of kind of addressing imbalance within the nervous system and kind of prioritizing health and sleep and areas that people don't often consider when they're trying to change someone's physical uh, well health and physical well, health and well-being and kind of physical side of things so if people that are going through like body transformations and competition preps and things like that it's kind of looking at things of from another perspective to to essentially get even better results 
that's kind of how we do it. We, we, we've kind of gone in deep on many different things and kind of come up with our own ways of doing things through attending various courses and talking with lots of people and coaching lots of people over the years. And it seems to be going pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's I don't know if that's what people want to know. So what you're kind of saying is that your your specialty or your area of expertise is kind of how to go the extra mile to kind of get more um, than you would from your standard kind of body transformation situation. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of and people look at our stuff, the stuff we do and they'll, they kind of will um, definitely perceive it in a lot of cases as being a bit over the top and overly complicated and only applicable to certain demographics and maybe not kind of your average Joe. I don't actually think that's the case, but, but um, in the sense of, I think everything we do is pretty easily applied. It's just maybe we speak about it in a complicated way that gives it that suggestion. Okay. Uh, it's, um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, I suppose we'll let people make that make their minds up, make their own minds up on that based on what I say today. And we'll be talking more about that for sure, I'm sure, throughout yeah. the podcast. But we need to get a few very important things uh, established first before we get into the nitty gritty. Firstly, GIF or GIF? GIF, and that's actually the being said by the creator. I agree. It has been said by the creator, and also, is it a giraffe? <laughs> No, it's not. It's a giraffe. Yeah, good. Well done. Because someone was like, oh, actually, Mike, was it Mike from Biceps and Bantu? It was either Mike or Dan, as one of them said, oh, yeah, well, it's not Jolf, is it? It's golf. And I was like, well, that's a pretty, you know, that's just one example. I didn't think of giraffe. but You must always no. think of giraffe. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, I don't like cats. Um well, it was great being on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Yeah, I'm a crazy cat lady. So people that um, don't follow me on Instagram know that I'm a... Well, they won't know that I'm a big fan of cats. And a lot of my posts and stuff feature cats. And when people speak against cats, I don't tend to like them. And what how is it about cats? cats? <laughs> yeah, how many cats do you have? And what is it about cats that you like? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just adore cats. We've had cats all our lives. We've had dogs, though. That's the thing. So, or a dog. So, we, she was just so special. We've never replaced her, and that's the thing. Um, I suppose the fact more that had, special than the cats. Uh, that's why I just I just backed myself into a corner there, didn't I? <laughs> but, uh, also, I have an issue with cats because I just feel like. You could get a cat and it could be an awful cat and there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas like dogs are more trainable. You know, they tend to be good if you bring them up well. Whereas some cats are just awful and they like, there's nothing you can do. Cats make their own rules, don't they? That, but that's one of the things I like about them. So dogs, everyone who gets a dog, you, you get a, a puppy. It's pretty much like having a child. Anyone who's had one would attest to that. Like the amount of attention you need to give it. A cat kind of does its own thing he she will come and get you know come for attention when they want it and when they don't they'll see you later sometimes you do get landed with one that doesn't have the best temperament i agree we did have one still loved her but you didn't really get much cuddle time <laughs> and then we've got a cat at the moment um well yeah i only got one at the moment and she's pretty special pretty chill she's called midnight there's only one cat who i've ever loved and she was called jolene and she died. Uh, from named after the Dolly Parton song. Well, she was called Mo, actually, but then 
for some reason they changed her name to Jolene. <laughs> That's confusing for the poor cat. Yeah. She had a Twitter and everything. She was so yeah. funny. Yeah, I've never. But been so you didn't actually well, know this cat. You no, I knew, knew her in real Twitter. life. And when you say she was funny, does that mean because she had funny tweets? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty impressive. No, she, had a, really, how, she had a really funny face. I've always wondered how animals operate social media accounts. I know. I how do you feel about those cats that have no hair? Oh, I don't like them. Yeah, a bit yeah. weird. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like weird. bats yeah, without wings. And, yeah, or giant rats or something. I've, do you know what? I feel like this is going to get masses of hate from cat people. Uh, well, I'm a cat person. I'm, I'm I'm in agreement with that statement. I'm not a fan of faces cats. I would get a cat if I knew that it was going to be a nice cat, but you just yeah. don't know, and it's a gamble I'm not willing to take. I would get a cat if it wouldn't shed hair everywhere or lick itself. Well, there you go. That... Well, dogs do. Yeah, I know. Perfect. But I would also a sphinx get a cat. If it wouldn't do cat, cats, cats by and large are far cleaner than dogs. Yeah, cleaner because they clean themselves with their own tongues. That's not yeah, clean. How impressive is that? Mike, you would if you could. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad we got Luke on this podcast to talk about all of the important intelligent discussions that we're going to have. Because no, I, I do think these are valid points to a certain degree because we wanted to get Luke on to talk about the 1%. So I know some of your coaching is around, you know, stress management and things like that. And, you know, stroking your pet at home is quite calming. And Damn. actually proven, actually proven to help. So cha-ching. that's why I brought it up. I don't know where your mind is going with this, Mike. Gosh, yeah. I just don't know what this podcast has become. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, Luke, <clears throat> let's get back on topic. Yes. Tell us about the one percent. So, I mean, we're going to run through a few different things that you guys do um, as the muscle mentors that sometimes when I see you do them, I go, really? Oh. And then I don't know whether they make sense or not. Um, so I thought it would no, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's wonderful. No. Um, <laughs> another one. <laughs> so talk us through, let, let's go through a few different things. So should we start with, um, should we start with sleep? Um, and if yeah, we go was... through, so if we talk about blue light blockers to start with, because that kind of takes us into sleep as well, or if we, if you want to open with sleep and then we go into blue light blockers. Yeah. Um, in terms, so one thing I would say is all this stuff that we do is termed, well, I, th- I don't know if it's termed by everyone, but you've definitely termed it the 1%. I would wager it's, it's more than a 1% in the sense of a lot of this stuff very easy to implement. Um, but, it, but but when you're and, and when it's one of the things I say in our seminars like when you look into things like sleep and the effect that that has on body composition alone <clears> but, <throat> but more importantly on health when it, I genuinely think it should make up a much bigger percent than one percent that people consider in the sense of people typically will go training diet right, training nutrition that's it oh and if you want to throw some airy fairy stuff on top of that with regards to sleep go for it Whereas if you look at it, it's like sleep alone would probably be like the third leg in that tripod or the third part of that triangle. Um, that when you do, and, and I'd I'd like to say that our results kind of reflect that, like in in that when we when you take that sort of thing into account, you're you're taking advantage of an insanely powerful thing for both health and for body composition. So um, 
So tell us uh, how that works kind of from a, in a practical way. If somebody signs up to a, a training program with you, do yeah. they have do they have a specific amount of sleep on their um on their plan? Like what what how do you actually implement <laughs> that with your clients? Yeah, well no, that would be a case of assessing like, I mean Dan's just seen our, our consultation forms. There's a there's a be- decent um bit about sleep and that, but it'd be a, a case of not assigning, you know, I, I, I've never said to people like this is the amount well I mean you could say like statistically or you know from the evidence you'd want to get at least six hours a night if you want to avoid a lot of the health complications that are associated with sleep deprivation um you can you get into that the the realm of it's not necessarily a total amount per night it's a kind of an amount of cycles and then you kind of get the crowd that say it's actually you can have you know, you could have five hours sleep a night, and if those five hours are really high quality, then that's all that matters. Um, it seems to be that you'd want to aim for somewhere between seven and nine hours. Um, and if, if people are falling in that realm, I'm pretty pleased with that. Um, but the, the the advice that we give from a coaching perspective is basically different ways to maximise, you know, sleep efficiency. Um, and you mentioned blue light blockers; those do fall fall in on that. And there's quite a lot of evidence behind them. Um, and, and for the listeners, like, what, what is it that blue light blockers do? So blue light blockers are basically... Um, then, and to be fair, these are probably lower down on the list in terms of interventions I would implement into someone's daily life to, to improve their sleep. Um, but the um, they're basically glasses that are designed to filter out all the problematic spectrums of light that will impact sleep and essentially disrupt our circadian rhythm um that can kind of therefore result in skewed secretion of melatonin which would be the the hormone that's secreted by our pineal gland to help with sleep like sleep onset and then staying asleep um it's been shown that having a you know exposure to artificial light specifically blue light but also green light um will disturb that rhythm um and that's been shown to negatively impact sleep um and so would you when would you wear these blue light blockers? It, I mean, there's be there's in research they've been <laughs> shown to have an effect of. Because I notice you're not wearing any. <laughs> That's a good point. To be fair, I'm not actually wearing any. I just noticed you. Have you actually got any blue light blockers? These are blue light blockers. <laughs> What's the brand? Pardon? What's the brand? I got them from Amazon. They've never been used, but as you were speaking, I thought, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm not wearing them at the moment. Um, but this is the thing: it's like there, there's there my bar this evening. My artificial light exposure in the in the evening hours isn't particularly high. Um, so I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens this week. The the last few hours before bed seems to be a good one. Some people take it an extra step and they'll do it as soon as the the sun goes down, which will obviously change depending on the time of year. Um, it doesn't go down in Scotland, so what? The sun really? doesn't doesn't go down. Well, bas- it's like light until like midnight here. Oh, right. Really? Yeah, because you're so north. Yeah. Right. Ah, interesting. Well then. Um, but I guess I think we should also say like what like what is blue light and why are we trying to block it? Well, well you've kind of explained that with the circadian rhythm and those effects. But what is blue light? Because you mentioned blue light and green light. And, so do we you get, know, that's it not actually 
Yeah, no, it, it's it's artificial light. So it's it's light that's coming from artificial sources, which will kind of be on, on the spectrum of light. It will kind of emit more of a blue radiation. Um, but the it, it's yeah. I mean, I would probably say it's just a case of the issue is we either have too much artificial light or not enough natural light, um, which kind of brings me to the the biggest thing that people can do if they're like, oh, I, I'm thinking I'm struggling with sleep. What can I do? Should I go and purchase some blue light blockers that cost fifty quid? The absolute best thing people can do is get more natural light. More, more hey, these were eight pounds off Amazon, and look how great I look. But getting outside is free, right? <laughs> Those are That's things. True. I'm always a fan of. And, and that's where all most of the stuff I'll, I suggest. In fact, in, in our theory seminar, my one of the first slides is no supplements will be mentioned in the in, in the delivery of this uh, this presentation because I'm I'm much more a fan of giving people like lifestyle things that are free that can actually help and that are proven to help. And um, like getting more natural daylight is like arguably the biggest thing you can do um and i and it, are you guys familiar with lux um like the the, the unit lux to yes. measure yeah so where where like the, the, to measure differing light intensities and you have like basically no like zero or 0.1 lux would be like moonlight one lux would be something like candlelight about 200 lux would be typical indoor lighting. 10,000 lux would be sunrise, sunset. 100,000 lux or more would be what you'd get, like a bright blue midday sky. Um, and our circadian rhythms are basically entrained by the like the varying light exposure, like exposure to light intensity throughout the day. So where where we, if we spend, all, you know, this is what happens in the winter where people wake up in the dark, they go to work in the dark, they then spend all day in maybe 200 lux typical indoor lit building and then they go to go back home in the dark and they go to bed in the dark so there's no big change in light intensity throughout the day. Um, and then, and, and we, I see this a lot with clients. So I've had numerous people that have come to work with me from a gym chain in London where they will work typically indoors underground all time and not not one of them has ever come to me with good sleep or good energy levels or good cognition or this stuff and what about people who live in places like norway where actually literally the sun doesn't go down like have you noticed it's do we see anything like i was gonna say retardations in their metabolic health but like changes in their metabolic health that actually has a big impact on yeah factors. and it's, it's been shown um i i don't have the research off the top of my head but i've read it a lot um that they basically because we need dark as much as we need light so things like melatonin i mentioned earlier are secreted in response to dark darkness um it's what's called like the hormone of darkness so when people don't have sufficient like intensity of darkness um, they they miss out on certain things like that, and melatonin itself is obviously, um, is, you know, a, a very powerful antioxidant. It has a lot of functions within the immune system, um, and when we see people like lacking melatonin, which is one of the reasons why people with sleep deprivation tend to exhibit a lot of immune dysfunction. Um, but again, people that don't get enough darkness, that's been shown as well. Um, so it's. Um, I think basically we need darkness as much as we need light, but we need a big discrepancy in the light intensities that we're exposed to, which people don't do enough. And it's like genuinely, like I said, 
the best advice I can give clients and the best advice I can give people listening to this podcast is get outside more often for at least it's been shown that you need a, a, about 30 minutes and some people have, have said 10 but it seems to be a more case of 30 minutes of morning daylight is sufficient for this, this essentially this circadian anchoring effect that you get from daylight so people trying to kind of realign their circadian rhythms and get back into a normal sleep cycle and all this stuff getting like 30 minutes of morning daylight is one of the best things you can do and it's so easy to do and you you know people people are like, oh i don't have time so i'm pretty sure you have time in the day to get out at least 10 minutes and, and they kind of will put these barriers up but realistically you know it's easy for some for some reason it's easier for people to go and pay for 5htp and you know i'm i'm affiliated with supplement needs through the muscle mentors they're affiliated with us and they have the sleep stack supplement which people see as a godsend it's good if all this other stuff is in check and i routinely get people going oh yeah should i get the sleep stack i'm like dude like address all this other stuff first like this lifestyle stuff where are you sleeping are you going to bed at a good time are you getting off daylight are you turning off electronics in the evening are you kind of giving yourself some time every day to actually chill out and all this stuff and they're like oh no i'm not doing any of that i'm like well why would you spend 50 quid on a sleep supplement when you're not doing all the stuff that's free what i find quite interesting or i guess this is kind of a question to you but you know people have always lived in well not always but for thousands millions of years have lived in places where they won't have this sleep cycle so for example norway or the north pole or you know where so why or are those people adapt to that so with like an inuit maybe be adapted to this like why is our circadian rhythm still after millions of years needs that i guess what are they called zeit geigers zeit geigers zeit geigers anyway the things that affect your circadian rhythm yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not the fucking zeitgeist. Um, they, um, yeah, I mean, well, this is the thing of like sleep. There's there's multiple drivers of sleep. It's not just a skating rhythm. So, yeah. they, they, and there's different models. And there's like there's one that's pretty popular, which is like the two process model, where we have two main processes that drive sleep wake transitions, and that's process S, which is the homeostatic sleep pressure that we that builds up throughout the day, and that basically rises exponentially during the time spent awake diminished during like deep sleep um non-rem sleep and that's where we get like adenosine build up during activity so if we use a high amount of atp we get more adenosine build up we accrue greater sleep pressure just from essentially expending energy and then we have process c which is the circadian rhythm which is like a cyclic signal based on on the approximate 24-hour biological clock in the human brain and peripheral tissues um regulated by the suprachiasmatic nucleus um, in the hypothalamus, which is like the, essentially the master clock of the body. Um, and that's the one that's mo- mostly entrained via light exposure and temperature, which is the one that those people would miss out on. But then, I mean, I haven't looked into them enough. I would wager, based on the way they live their lives, that their homeostatic sleep pressure is so high because they're going to be expending a lot of energy during all their daily activities based on their lifestyle that they might be saved by that alone but i i've be, i've seen stuff where those they do exhibit some kind of you know some of the issues associated with sleep deprivation um i'll tell you what i see a lot of on instagram people smashing loads of caffeine and stimulants and pre-workout all day long and 8:30 and then sticking their blue light blockers on 
and taking a sleep stack and going to sleep. I think and you just described Emma's story good. <laughs> I have never had issues with my sleep, and I sleep extremely well, and I always get my seven hours, so back yeah. off. We don't know that because you won't wear a sleep tracker, so we don't know if that's true. Yeah, you don't know that, but I know that. Is there? You don't know the quality of your sleep, though. You just know that you're not awake. Actually, that's... Um, I don't know the quality of my sleep, and I do tend to get up about four times a night. Mm. <laughs> really good to wake up sleep. Yeah, no, I do, but I go straight back to sleep. I have a very small bladder. Too much information, I'm sure. But yeah, I tend to, like, some nights I will get up, like, four times to pee. But I fall back asleep so quickly. Yeah. So that's, um, but that bit, but, I mean, I did interrupt you there, Mike. You were going on something. No, that was, I was making people, a statement. I'm interested to hear your judgments on Emma's sleep now. I, I, well, I'm, I'm going to disagree with Mike's statement. Uh, now, this is coming from someone who loves to track his sleep, but I would say that sleep tracking itself is not, while it's pretty cool, it's not actually, you know, you, people don't need to do it. Okay, tell yourself. us about that, please. Um, so, and this is where I... And I, then you can make fun of Emma's sleep, and then we can go back to people smashing yeah. pre-workout and then using blue light blockers. <laughs> It was when I was um, preparing the stuff for our seminar, and I did. A, there's a huge section on sleep in it, um, and I was going through all the research, and I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." You know, they're looking at, you know, it seems here that like it's sleep quantity that matters most, as opposed to quality and stuff like that. Um, and then I realised that pre- across mo- like most of these studies, and I looked at a lot. Like <laughs> my my slides alone in the in the theory weekend, there was like 200 references or something. Um, but the um they they typically will use sleep um your own perceived rating of sleep so sleep satisfaction as their measure and it seems to be pretty damn reliable so that's one of the best things people can do so when people are kind of waking up and going i think i slept pretty shit probably listen to that or i don't feel that well rested or i feel pretty groggy whatever it is or they wake up like i feel great I don't need a tracker to tell me that. And that's one of the things I kind of get annoyed with when clients are like, I, you know, I, I feel like I slept great, but my sleep tracker says I slept at 60%. So I, obviously I didn't. I'm like, yeah, but if you felt great, that's all that matters. And that's yeah. what the studies yeah. show. When they look at that, they're kind of looking at how did this person feel? And they're like, they're, they use subjective means of tracking it. So this is, this is basically intuitive sleeping. Yeah. Um, and it, without tracking. Well, it's true. It's, it's the same it as like you know, someone would be like, "Oh, I'm sticking to my calories, but not losing weight." Even my look at my my fitness pal, and I'm like, "Your body is a far better calorie tracker yeah. than my fitness pal." Like, if you're not losing weight over time, you're not in a deficit. That's what we know. Mm. And I guess it's kind of the same type of thing. Like, oh, you don't have any problems with sleep, but this tracker says that you don't have great sleep. Don't worry about it. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that, and people do that as well. People, when we track, like, like we'll track things like HRV and, and resting heart rate, and, and so heart rate variability for those that don't know what HRV is, and and that's like you know, an indicator of like your autonomic nervous system balance. And some people will go, oh shit! So this reading here said that I'm not well rested. Oh, I'm not going to train today. And I'm like, well, how do you feel? Do you feel ready to train? I'm like, yeah, I feel great. I could I could smash the session. I'm like. Go and smash the session then. Don't don't base it on what this app's telling you because it really doesn't have quite the same level of information that your internal workings do. Like if you if you feel great, then crack on. Um, yeah, and equally, if the app says, "Oh, you sh- should feel great," and then you're like, "Oh, but I have an awful stomach cramps or something," yeah. you'd be like, "They're probably not going to train." Yeah, and and I think this is where people kind of getting too 
kind of wrapped up in the tracking of things. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like practical application, you've already given us a great one there, Luke, in that getting more natural light. In terms of sleep hygiene, what do you normally recommend people to do? So sleep hygiene, right, I've got a, in fact, I could put it up actually, because we, I, I basically give a sheet to clients that I've just written, a load of really easily, easy, easily actionable um, things they can do. I just say, like, here's a bunch of things you can do to help you sleep. They're all free, apart from one of them where it does say, like, you can buy, like, pillow spray or a, you know, like Epsom salt baths have been shown, but, but some easy ones are literally looking at, you know, creating a very dark environment in your bedroom. Like we said, we need that dark environment. So people use, if they can't do that with, like, blackout blinds, you can use, like, eye masks and, and like, earplugs to try and remove, like, as much external stimuli as possible. Do you know, I have actually got a pair of those uh, Manta eye yeah. um, face masks. Yeah. They're good. Yeah, they're pretty good. And and they, they've been shown to improve sleep quality. Don't um, they make your face feel funny? Yeah, I think that's one of the things it takes getting used to. You put something <coughs> in your face to sleep. Some people take a while to get used to that some people don't um yeah these ones are they're, they're kind of padded around the eye sockets as well i think so they come are, up in my sponsored ads they are totally blackout they're the they're one of my my best investments recently mm. do they say on the front of them dan grumpy but gorgeous or something like that like when you're wearing them oh no it's just a pair of eyes closed with long lashes. Oh, okay. i like that <laughs> mm. um so we, had yeah, you finished telling us about your sleep hygiene? Well, I mean, there, was, there was more. Okay, um, please carry on. Like, I mean, like one of the things you said, I did, do I give people like targets for sleep? I would say no. I would, I give them targets for daylight exposure, and I'll start that off low. If someone's like, you know, how, I'm like, I usually ask people in the consultation, like, yeah, how much, how, how often do you get outside? And they might be like, oh, actually, never. I'm like, okay, cool. Start with like half an hour a day, and I, and then I'll slowly see how high I can work that within their day without it detracting from all their other areas that actually are worth. If someone's like, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I kind of like to sit and browse the internet during my lunch break, I'd be like, take that outside, mate. I'd be like, that's not a valid excuse for, for, go, for, for not getting daylight. But if someone's like, oh, I've spent time with my family in the evening and, or, or I have to do something at, at this point in the day that requires me to be indoors, then fine. Um, but but like, that would be one where you kind of start low waking up best thing you can do and, that, and that's you know all the stuff that i suggest to people on that front if you're looking to change your lifestyle and this guy and people you know people familiar that with dieting and all that stuff know that you make small changes and you know one at a time you don't make 10 changes at once same thing applies to this you, you put little things in and go like just build on it um but like fictional reading is one of the best things people can do that's been shown like can it, it's obviously going to promote escapism um Take your mind away from work, life, whatever it is, and then if you and that's an opportunity to combine that with you know complete removal of screen exposure for the last maybe like hour of the day. Um, and if someone's like, oh yeah, I'll use I'll use a Kindle or something like that, like that's been shown to impact sleep quality. Like what? so, which is yeah, because of the light that's emitted. Like they've done some pretty damn good studies on that. Um, what like, even if you're wearing your glasses? Well, that's where if, if you use blue light blockers, it's been shown to help. Um, so oh. and that, that's so that's if someone's like, oh yeah, I'm going to read, but I prefer to do it on a Kindle. But we'll get some, you know, because there are blue light blockers that are cheap that work. That mm. there, are, that you want to get expensive ones, go for it. But it, it becomes a bit of an investment. And is it entirely necessary for the extra few percent of of spec, light spectrums that they'll block out 
that's debatable. Yeah. Why uh, is it that some people look so awful? Like, <laughs> you know, like they basically look like they're wearing skiing goggles. Oh, the yeah. orange lens ones. Yeah, well, I've got orange lens ones, and like. Emma wants to know why your glasses are so awful, Luke. Yeah, why am I insulting everyone tonight? <laughs> I went, I went and on also, a, why am I getting picked on as well? Yeah, I, I went on a date with someone at once, and they said, like categorically, I wasn't allowed to wear my blue light bulbs. <laughs> and were you like never seeing you again? No, I, <laughs> and I actually, you can pay for the meal. No, I actually obeyed that one. <laughs> but the um, the. Yeah, that was uh, that was. Is quite there funny. a difference? I mean, can you get perf- the clear lens ones perfectly good? Yeah, they they do. Like, it's I, there's one. So I think there's a brand called like Amber A M B R um, that are clear lens, and they apparently filter all the problematic spectrums. Um, I think as a you know the ones that have a tint to them just generally seem to do it very effectively. But you get some that are literally just a bit of orange plastic. So. Um, there's like a good device you can get to check, but there are. I think the best the best brands are like Raw Optics. Um, uh, there's one Swanick, so Swannies. They actually look pretty good. Um, that Amber one apparently very good. Um, True Dark are very good. Um, there's some other ones, but they they yeah they do work. They're just um, but they're they're the sort of thing where I'd say, you know, you address sleep and you start doing all the lifestyle strategies, they're going to make up a far bigger percent of the actual effects you're going to get. If you add in some blue blockers, that's maybe going to be edging towards the the 1-2%. But I think, I think the biggest thing people can do is just... Cause is, is remove screens in the evening because, you know, people just don't bloody need to do that. Um, unless it's like, I'm, I genuinely enjoy chilling and watching stuff with my loved ones and stuff, which is fair. And in which case, if you're trying to maximize your opportunity to be as healthy as you can be or build as much muscle as you can do or lose as much fat it wouldn't hurt to get some blue light blockers because it's been shown that sleep can improve all of that mm. um and that's one of the things of like where it becomes you know it's, it's an interesting curveball to the calories in calories out crowd that you know they've shown that sleep deprivation will lead to you losing less body fat you actually losing more fat free body body mass so more muscle <laughs> and it was like in the study there was one study where they said like you they did it across uh, quite a few they did it across like an eight-week period and the, the group lost 55 percent less body fat and 60 percent more fat free mass um but they lost wow. the same amount. and 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 it was like okay well if that's the case and they the calories were the same everything like that and it was like well if that's true then there's something more to be said than just calories in calories out i don't want to hear that and it was simply a case of like less than six hours sleep yeah but isn't that that it's impacting calories in calories out so your sleep is either making you hungrier so you overeat or maybe you don't exercise as much yeah well they they did that there were problems with the study in fact let me put it up because I put this in my in my slides, I did have this up earlier. Yeah, so here we go. That was quick. Um, so, fat-free mass wasn't specified as to what that was. So, it could you know we know that could account for water as well. So that was one thing. Um, and they found that energy expenditure was found to be approximately 400 calories a day lower in the sleep-restricted group 
most likely due to variances in physical activity between times of measurements. Um, but that, and I, but that's perhaps explainable via simply sleep restriction related fatigue. But then the fact that they actually did less, but they lost more, like less body fat, more fat-free mass. The, the the amount of weight loss between groups is the same, um, which was quite interesting. And they oxidized less fat, and they had they were hungrier. Um, which is uh, one of the biggest things people trying to lose body fat um, and they're, you know, they're trying to get into sick shape easiest way to kind of screw with your ability to adhere to a diet is to be sleep deprived, get less than 6 hours of sleep it's been shown to mass, you know, drive ghrelin levels up drive leptin levels down so you are less satisfied with the food you're eating and you're hungry mm-hmm. so it becomes it's funny because it's the first thing that's going to go as well isn't it like someone's like right i'm going to start a new diet or exercise regime i'll just get up at six in the morning so i can get to the gym before work and then blah blah blah. and it it ends up being like the thing that that goes actually when you start like a new regime you're like oh i need to get up earlier to make sure that i can get all this stuff in and actually you could be shooting yourself in the foot a little bit that actually sleep is important as well but then what would you suggest to someone who is trying that, and I'm, I know I've heard that, and I don't know if this is a complete myth. I've never seen much evidence for it, but sleep before midnight is more important than sleep after. It is debatable. Um, I I used to believe that, and that was where you know they've they've been like, oh yeah, it was showing that you know being sleep before midnight is a good thing, and then they didn't. They fail a lot, often fail, and this is where there's potentially going to be a big issue with a lot of the sleep research. They've fail to account for chronotypes so where people are you know morning people or evening people certain people will like to go to bed later than others and certain mm. people will like to go to bed earlier sorry and, to interrupt you look it's my understanding it's a genetic thing to a certain degree as well isn't yeah, it yeah and that's the thing and, Ma- and matthew walker turned me on to that where i was reading his stuff and, and i was like okay that's interesting because you get all these studies are kind of looking at oh let's see what happens if you know, we get everyone to go to bed at this time and let's see what happens if we get everyone to wake up at this time, whatever it is, and there's always outliers. Um, and my theory is, like, they're going to see that when they start factoring in chronotype, that's all going to change. So I think you can't blanketly say, yeah, you have to be to bed before, you know, 2 a.m. or, or before 12 a.m. Uh, because there's going to be people that don't. And I, I had a client the other day, and this is where we'll, we'll get on to talking about blood glucose. With certain people, I'll track blood glucose. I'm not a fan of tracking it with everyone. Um, and his blood glucose is just crazy high all the time. And we're doing everything to bring it down, like low carb, whatever it is, and it just sits crazy high. And then he started going to bed really late because of his work, and it all fell into range. And he was going to bed at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. How was high like, was really high? Like sevens, eights. So not diabetic high. No, but for someone who's like, I want to be as healthy as I can be, mm-hmm. seven, you know, so between seven and eight isn't mm. ideal. And and Doctor uh, Mike, for the benefit of the listeners, what is normal range, or what would you be looking at? So it's become a little bit more complicated in terms of targets and and how you would would diagnose diabetes and things like that now because they often use HbA1c, which is um, mm. a blood test that gives you kind of a general marker of your overall blood sugar control rather than a one-off random reading that, that can vary. Um, but essentially the traditional figures for blood glucose is if your fasted blood glucose was over seven, and um, that would be considered diabetes. But you would have to have it, you'd have to have two different measurements like a couple of weeks apart. A one-off wouldn't be enough to diagnose it. 
um, or if you had a random blood glucose so at normal parts of the day of 11 that would be making you think um, that, that people might be diabetic but the gold standard would be checking the fasting glucose mm. um, and then of a blood glucose between six and seven fasted that would be considered uh, pre-diabetic so mm. and that's where he is most of the time and then he would kind of transition up mm-hmm. and it was i was like what the fuck and i had a you know i sent to his gp i ran a glucose tolerance test with him and it also you know he dealt with glucose fine it just sat really high and 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 then we and then he started going to bed late and i was like what the hell what's happening <laughs> didn't change anything else um and that's where i'm like you know n equals one it's not the best thing to assume but is that that could be stuff like this in research now they're like oh you know we'll factor in chronotype and we might see some very interesting things um so i would say like going to bed before 12 is is a rule that people can try and then if they i would generally recommend it but do you know where i learned that from where neighbors what (laughs) that thing about yeah every hour that you go to bed before 12 is worth two hours after 12 that's what mm. she was. I can't, it was someone's mum. I thought he was going to say your medical education. I got mine from neighbours. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I learned about diabetes. <laughs> I don't recall learning an awful lot about um, sleep from neighbours, but do you know what? I did learn about blood sugar from neighbours. Um, I remember Susan Kennedy having a massive go at um, Billy Kennedy because uh, before an exam, he was eating a chocolate bar. And he was doing it because he said it would give him like a burst of energy for the exam. And she had this massive go at him and she was like, don't do that, Billy. You'll have a massive spike in your blood sugar and then you'll crash and feel tired. But I always had a Mars bar before every exam I ever did. Yeah, well, because that's a big oversimplification from that, isn't it? Well, that's when that's why we don't go with N equals one data, innit? Oh, yeah, for sure. But, that, but that's the thing of like the, the, the going to bed before 12 a.m. I mean, that's a lot of it's based on like the circadian rhythms that have been observed in melatonin and cortisol where like melatonin is going to be highest between 12 a.m and 8 a.m and the benefits that are associated with that um which is like chemically induced drowsiness the antioxidant component the pro-immune system activity you know activity of it we kind of want that and if we're in bed before 12 a.m we're going to get that maximized and and all that jazz which i think is largely what that's based on okay so we've done sleep haven't we is that everything to sound sleep i mean hey, we can go in on sleep <laughs> yeah that's cool because we wanted to cover the one percent that people are skipping well arguably that's not the one percent that's much bigger than one percent but of all the stuff that people do stress about what is the one percent that you see is potentially useless that you see a lot of people focus on in terms of sleep uh j- just overall because, I mean, I know you mentioned blood you, glucose there. Yeah, I would, I would obviously blood very... glucose in. Like, I don't think it's very useful. I, I think it's there's a there's a small percentage of the population that's useful for. I was, I was saying to you, this to you, like, if you're unless you're a diabetic, it's pretty, pretty pointless. There's certain things I like to see where if a client's open to tracking it, and I work with a lot of people that are, I'd be like, oh, let's see what it does. And, and we can kind of see the effect that improving sleep has on certain things and see the effect that if someone's really stressed out, you know, or they have a really hard session, how that affects their recovery the next day, you can quite often see the effect that has on blood glucose. If someone's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's quite a cool tool for just seeing yeah. the effect of what so overly managing stress has on someone's ability to manage glucose in a fasted state. 
it's, it's fair to say it's just be another tangible that something you're trying to directly influence yeah. you're just seeing what happens yeah. over time yeah and, and that's the thing I'd, I'd never go oh the goal is to get you into an optimal yeah so do you not manip- yeah. do you manipulate anything on the basis of it or do you just look at it i will try to, if someone's like in a position where i'm like that's sitting higher than i would necessarily like if i was looking at trying to maximize your health then i'd run bloods and be like okay maybe your hba1c is a little higher as well so improving your blood glucose management might not hurt the um then there'll be things i might but but the the biggest things are improving sleep like that and that is and that because that's one of the biggest areas that's been studied with sleep is a single night sleep deprivation has been shown to you know create a like essentially the same level of blood glucose handling that you'd see in a diabetic. Gosh. In certain, yeah, uh, and I uh, guess the point is as well, like it, it's going to be a byproduct. So mm. as you lose weight, as you get in better shape, as you start taking care of yourself, sleeping yeah. better, potentially dieting, yeah. your glucose levels will drop. If especially yeah. if you've started overweight, the one thing I quite like about that is, um it's a it's something that's not weight loss so let's say you have got someone who's very overweight and you get them to start exercising but they've not lost any weight a lot of people will then think well you know i've not lost weight so this isn't working i'll just give up Mm. and you can sort of show them that actually you've not lost weight but wow look your blood glucose levels have come down that's a huge health marker for you Mm. yeah so keep exercising even if you don't lose weight like there's so many benefits to it but i think too Mm. many people associate the two together like you'll get like flippant comments from friends like why are you going to the gym you've you've not lost any weight you've been going for two months now yeah okay well look at my health markers yeah and then but then i would argue like because i've i've thought that before and i don't think it would be in that position but i'd say like if someone came to you and was like um i want to get in shape i'd be like okay sweet i'll get you in shape but and if then they were like oh you haven't got me in shape mate but my blood glucose is probably like, yeah, I kind of succeeded. I've kind of failed you because your goal was to get in shape. <laughs> yeah, but if they've come to you for health benefits. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, know. for sure, for sure. Um, but then I do think that's arguably stepping out of the wheelhouse of a physique coach. Someone's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work on your blood glucose. Like, mm, yeah, uh, stick to your lane of trying to get someone in shape. But I get what you mean. Um, so what about blood pressure? Oh, that's big. Um well, that's, that's, I'd track that for sure, and I think everyone should track that. I think if you're, if you're someone who's on steroids and you're not tracking that, you're an idiot, for one. Um, but I think it, given how accessible that is for general population, given how cheap it is to get, get it done, you can get it done. Most gyms will do it for free. Um, so how often are we talking about? I mean, once a week would be fine, I'd say. I, that's I get quite a lot. like to do it every day, but that's a bit much. Um, it's also quite months. hard to interpret, no? Like, yeah. especially given you know, if you're not doing it right, it's completely useless. And I guess that's true for most measurements. Yeah. But and that's where it's it's a because I, I was talking to a friend of mine, actually it was my one of my mentors in America, and he was saying how he's not he's not allowed to do it because in America you you have to be a registered medical practitioner to take someone's blood pressure because you can do it wrong, <laughs> and um. And I was like, yeah, I kind of get that. And there'll be client, and and there'll be people that definitely take it wrong, and it's, you can't ever really be sure. I think the best way would be if someone was unsure, like go and get your GB to take it, and then just make note of how they do it. And like in terms of if they use a machine, if they do it with the old-fashioned way, which I imagine you do, Mike. I do. And yeah, so that would be harder. Like just watch how they do it. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but I, th- I think as a health marker in terms of all the uh, you know the, the deleterious health effects that are associated with having elevated blood pressure and how easy it is to track i think it makes sense for people to be able to track that and just be aware and also be aware that one of the easiest ways to pull that down is to exercise i do i do agree with that i just i'm not i'm not necessarily sure about the frequency only from the point of view that um blood pressure pressure can have a big effect on people's you know if if they think their blood pressure is high it can be quite anxiety inducing and often i find that that people can become quite focused on on the blood pressure reading and then get quite worried when it's just not perfect Mm. um but i guess it's it's difficult to to discuss this really because we have we're talking about an entirely different demographic of people you're talking Mm. about people who are who are trying to do kind of health optimization essentially almost we're talking almost biohacking really aren't we the kind of stuff that that you're kind of saying is you know you're talking about literally optimizing everything about someone's lifestyle and then trying to get those extra points um you know in health whereas i guess i'm talking about a different sort of demographic so i'm just sort of thinking on my feet in terms of that and thinking but then i would agree that like you know is it is it necessary to track it every week probably not would i make changes to someone's plan based on a reading of their blood pressure every week arguably not um across a few months maybe if it started really trending up about okay maybe we want to start thinking about doing some more aerobic conditioning or something like that but i agree that it would be but let, let's be real here wouldn't wouldn't you really start thinking hmm maybe there's something wrong with your cycle and actually like maybe this is a bit of a controversial oh, well, what in terms of steroids yeah like if someone but I, I, I only work with i'd say 20 percent of my clients use steroids so you've just said though that you know, especially like this is going to be a problem mostly for people who use steroids, or especially for. Yeah. And equally, it kind of so you're saying, oh, like these are ways that we can optimize health and things. Really, like the first thing you're probably going to say is, this is likely an effect of the steroids. Maybe we shouldn't be taking steroids. Yeah, for sure, I, I yeah. always say that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's almost like a bit. It can't be a bit con, con. What word am I looking for? Contradictory. Contradictory a little bit, almost. That you're like, right. These are the things that we can do to optimize your health. If someone came to me taking steroids and said, "I want to be the healthiest person I can be," probably the first thing I would do is tell them to stop taking steroids. Oh yeah, but then the blood pressure will not categorically rise if you're on steroids. So it's quite. No, I don't even oh, just mean in relation to blood pressure. I just mean in general. We're looking at oh, all yeah. these markets like. Great sleep and yeah. exercise and health and everything. I agree. 100% agree. But I think being on steroids, working with people that use steroids, it goes against a lot of that. Um, but then there's the goal of trying to build as much muscle as you can possibly build and that's where yeah. they kind of diverge. You can kind of manage it and that's basically what it, what we'd be doing in that situation. You'd manage the, the damage um, and be as kind of cognizant of being doing it as healthily as possible. But yeah, you're categorically never going to be as healthy as you can be. I hundred percent agree. Cool. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sit here and be like, "Oh, that's bullshit." You can definitely try. No, it. no, <laughs> I didn't think you would give another <laughs> answer. I just. No, uh, no, no, no that's. Um, my laptop is on seven percent battery, so can I run and get my charger? Of course yeah. you can. Luke, Luke, Joe can delete this bit.
mine um mine did actually say your computer's running too slow and paused but it was it's not an issue it's restarted now I do, I do, I know I need a new computer, right? No, no. Mine's right. making a really angry, like, sound. Like, can you hear yeah, it? mine always does that when it's doing call recorder. It's like... Can you hear it on my mic, like, through my microphone? No, though? I can hear it. Because when I, when I mute my microphone, it goes... It, like, when I put it back on, it goes... In my ear. I think Luke has blurred his background. That's why. It, it yeah, like he that. is. It's that, it's that focus, isn't it, that you use, yeah. Mike? <clears throat> Cha-ching. Good to go. Cha-ching. Right. Did I miss you slagging me up? Yeah, <laughs> loads. <laughs> loads. Or we're, you're recording the call, so you can listen to that bit back when uh, <laughs> and see what we said. Did I miss any good conversation? No, we talked about how our computers make hissy noises, and it annoys us. And I need a new one, clearly. And I do as well. Yeah. Um. So, we've done blood glucose, we've done sleep, we've done blood pressure. Tell us about HRV. So, HRV for those that aren't familiar is heart rate variability and that is um essentially the the time the space between heart or heartbeats the time the time lapse between heartbeats um and it's um it's a very interesting area in fact let me pull up the actual definition because it's um here we go so it's a measure of the variation in time between each heartbeat, and it's regarded as a reliable reflection of both parasympathetic nervous system activity and sympathetic nervous system activity. Um, like typically, you'll see decreased parasympathetic nervous system activity and increased sympathetic nervous system activity when you have a lowered HRV reading, so when there's less time between heartbeats, which is kind of contradictory. You think it like when they're more consistent and steady, that's that's generally. A, uh, suggestive of more stress and a higher frequency would be associated with parasympathetic nervous system activity and it's basically a fairly reliable method of gauging autonomic balance but it does have its limitations even by the people that kind of studied it and there's definitely a lot of coaches out there one of the things I wanted to do in our seminar was kind of set the record straight of, of, of here's how you actually would want to use HRV and it's not as simple as or people, you know, pinning on a little trap in the morning and going, okay, yeah, my reading 70 and that's how I am for the day. Like, as far as I'm aware, one of the most reliable and arguably the only reliable methods for general population at the moment, and that goes for everyone who's, you know, even physique athletes and stuff like that, is using like an aura ring because it gives you a reading across the night, which mm-hmm. is like a read, you know, across a long period of time. But um, essentially, if we if we're looking to improve our autonomic balance which is basically improve the or increase the amount of parasympathetic nervous system activity which is what would you term the rest and digest or feed and breed side of the nervous system um versus the sympathetic side which is the fight or flight side like there's various ways we can do that and and it and they've all been 
you know they've they've used HRV as a measure of, of kind of proving that. Um, and I, I listed a number in our seminar, and they're all free, and they're all pretty good. And the number one is obviously exercise. Mm-hmm. But the um, but it's um, yeah for people that want to when we look at things like digestion and we look at sleep and we look at our ability to recover or or even our ability to like perform in a session we want to be we want to be able to flip between each side of these nerve you know these branches of the autonomic nervous system pretty effectively like mm-hmm. digestion is entirely a parasympathetic nervous system dominant activity so it's it's all the all the um organs in the digestive tract all the you know the 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 things that really you know the things that release enzymes and and all this stuff they're all innovated by parasympathetic mm-hmm. the parasympathetic nervous system so and it's been shown that if you regulate the sympathetic side of the nervous of the autonomic nervous system you will down regulate your ability to adequately digest mm-hmm. a meal and then it comes down to if you're trying to build a, a pretty impressive physique or be as healthy as you can and you want to you know you are, you know, you are what you eat. It's more you are what you eat, digest, absorb, assimilate, excrete, and that comes down to having a pretty well-functioning gastrointestinal system. And and ways to improve that would be making sure that when you eat a meal, you're actually present for that meal and chilled out and in that parasympathetic side of the nervous system, which is where people like Amelia Thompson will have probably indirectly spoken about this by getting people to be mindful of the meals they eat, taking mm-hmm. their time, enjoying it, setting a timer for that meal, it's going to mean that you're actually able to run those digestive processes pretty well without going into the science like this. Um, and um, and then, you know, when you want to perform in the gym, you want to be able to kind of switch into that sympathetic side and then coming out of that, you want to be able to switch into kind of a recovering, you know, recovery state pretty easily and chill out. And when, when you go to eat post-workout, you want to be able to deal with that food pretty well. So it's basically a case of being being aware that there's two branches to the autonomic nervous system and there's a lot of processes that you want to run optimally and kind of if you're stressed out when you're eating a meal and it's been shown like if you, you know people that aren't present with their meals people that don't chew their food properly people that eat in a rush it's all shown to negatively impact digestion people that take their time people that chew their food properly it's been shown to enhance all that um, and you know so it's a it's a pretty easy th- and, it, and it's easy to do like i said like you know i think how many are there one two three four five five things you can do that are all free that all massively help that area of like balancing out the autonomic nervous system you know kind of improving sleep all those things, they all kind of overlap. Wait, are area. you going to tell us these, or is this yeah. like you have yeah, to come so I'm just, to this? I'm just, I'm just building into it. I'll do <laughs> more in the seminar if people are interested. Check um, out part two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> should be There's awesome. five. I'm not telling you what they are. But, uh, so exercise is one. Um, that's been shown to increase HRV in healthy individuals, and that's generally by the fact that it's going to actually improve like cardiac function and stuff like that. Um, but um, And it, uh, the fact that well, well, one of the things you're looking at is improving vagal tone. So va- the vagus nerve is obviously the kind of the master motorway between the um, of the parasympathetic nervous system, essentially. Um, but the um, you know, it's you know, exercise has been shown to decrease the amount of work and oxygen consumed by the heart by reduction in resting heart rate and myocardial contractility. That's actually quite. Um, so it's a 
a pretty easy way to do that. Um, and I think everyone listening probably does that. You probably all pretty good. But the problem with exercise is often it's associated with a pretty you know, heavy sympathetic nervous system state. But it's also the type of exercise. The type of exercise they've studied in relation to improving HRV is actually aerobic conditioning, not things like resistance training, and especially resistance training like grunting and making those noise and lifting loads of weights. But the, um, I think it probably would help to some degree, but there's not a lot of people that do aerobic conditioning these days, uh, especially people in the bodybuilding realms. They're like, I want to try and build as much muscle. And you're like, well, you know, you've got this method of improving HRV and improving your autonomic balance, which is going to improve all this other stuff and sleep and stress management and your ability to recover within the sessions that you do when you're lifting heavy weights and uh, health, because obviously, you know, type 1 muscle fibers are the most densely populated mitochondria. And if you kind of do a lot of aerobic work, you're going to increase the amount of those guys, and that's a pretty good thing. Uh, so, People don't do enough aerobic conditioning. I think they probably so should. So, would aerobic conditioning be just cardio-based stuff? Would like you know, would yeah, a jog be okay? Or are we talking more circuit training or long distance, like long, longer duration aerobic activity? I like. I think if you were going to put a heart rate on it, you'd be looking at 130 to 150 beats per minute, which is pretty easy to get a heart rate monitor and track it. Which is you'll probably find is what you know if someone's really unfit. That might be an incline walk. <laughs> and someone get as you get more and more condition, that will become more and more intense. Uh, that's you know again start start low and then you know build it up. But that's a very easy thing for people to do. And I have a question: Where do you learn all this stuff? Like, did you did you is this kind of um, does it come from a qualification degree? Does it did you just learn it because you love it? Is it just something you're passionate about? Do you just read loads? What's your kind of, what's your educational background when it comes to this sort of stuff? I, I read loads. <laughs> um, I'm interested in it for one, but I'm also I was first turned on to it, and it was more a soul with solely looking at like stress management via a company called Muscle Nerds. Um, right. They they talk they teach some stuff similar to this, and then I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I studied that for a number of years and went in a bit deeper and then realized there's some rather cool shit that they had yet to consider. And when me and Cal were like, let's do some seminars, I was like, cool, and I'm going to talk about all this stuff that's even more in depth. <laughs> um, where I basically just, and I think a lot of this stuff is from reading journal articles and reading papers and there's books on stress. Like, there's a really good book that if people are interested in learning about stress, there's a good one, which those guys actually recommended called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by I've Robert Sapolsky. I've got that my, good book. in my living room because someone gave it to me to read and I haven't read it yet sorry <laughs> bunch of books up here but, that, but that's a good one yeah. um, people looking at like the impact that stress can have on our physiologies then that's a big one um, and why it's quite a nice thing to be able to you know make yourself relatively resilient stress and change you know why changing your perception of stress is a really good thing and all this stuff and the benefits it can have on your Mental well-being, physical well-being, everything like that is pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, I think you know, people, yeah, I think take away from that then, do some aerobic conditioning a few times a week on your non-training days. It won't mean you lose muscle, people. That's not how it works because there's going to be a lot of people out there that are like, oh, shit, if I, if I do cardio, if I go on a treadmill... Cardio then, kills gains. Then my legs will atrophy. <laughs> 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 we know that that's total bullshit. Um, 
I think that's why most people blame on having no legs, actually. It's all the cardio that I do. And if you're doing it for the for the adapt for the health adaptation for the cardiac adaptation, then um, eat the calories back. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to suddenly forego because that's going to be why you start losing tissues if you suddenly don't you know, support the calorie expenditure. Mm. Eat it back, which is nice. More food, sweet, done, and you get fitter. That's a win-win. Um, so, yeah, and that's been, you know, that, that, there's actually a cool case study of this. I was talking to Ryan today, who, Ryan's a case study where he woke up and felt absolute dog shit, took all his measurements, and he's like, wow, I'm, my HRV's in the floor and my resting heart is really high and I do naturally need to take it easy. I was like, cool. But um, AJ Morris, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. He reached out to me not that long ago. Um, and he had like where his he basically was like dude I'm not in a great place my resting heart rate's gone really high I've, I'm, I'm feeling like well he, he was basically feeling shit and he was like and I took my resting heart rate and it's like 70 beats per minute and I was like oh that's pretty high um, and he was like do you have anything I can do and I was like yeah sweet do all this <laughs> I, came in the, I was like do some you know a couple of sessions a week of like 60 minutes of aerobic conditioning do some breathing work um, which I'll talk about in a sec do some grounding, um, and well, so, so I, I think a screenshot what I said to in, in anticipation of this. Um, but I basically like, and, and I told him to meditate, um, and within like four weeks, he brought it down to forty-eight beats per minute without changing a thing. Um, Can we talk about grounding? Yeah, because grounding is a cool one. Breathing is a cool one if people are interested in that, and that's like literally like. Breathe slower, breathe through your nose. Like there is a bit of a quick one. People want an easy like, oh, what can I do breathing wise? Six breaths per minute has been shown to massively drive up HRV, and that's been proven multiple occasions. So people are like, oh, how am I going to do six breaths per minute? Five seconds in, five seconds out through the nose. That's been proven. So boom, done. Breathing's done. What just for one minute? As long as you want. I'd do that for multiple. Minutes. I'd do that. It, this is the thing. Like, if you if you can get people to routinely throughout the day do this stuff because you can breathe while you're working you can get into the habit of doing that or you can <laughs> I was just think, like sorry but how weird would it be if you were sat next to someone in the office and they just said yeah but you don't, it doesn't need to be like that though. that's right <laughs> I'm like oh my god what's going on yeah, normal breathing you just take take longer to go yeah but that's them. not as cool I know, I know. <laughs> um, but the but the but the thing like you know, you can do all this stuff in one, you know, sporadic things throughout the day. You get someone to go outside barefoot on the earth, grounding, in the sun, daylight exposure, whilst doing nasal breathing, whilst meditating. There's four things that you can do. Like I you, have started on. taking my bin out with bare feet. Yeah. And, and yesterday I stepped in some guano. Oh, good. <laughs> guano. What actual guano, as in white bat guano? What it is- wasn't bat. <laughs> I thought guano just meant like bird poo. Oh god, I doubt I live in my car today. I don't really like walking outside in bare feet because of all of the danger and uncleanliness. Well, it's very good for you. <laughs> um, so, what's the benefit of the bare feet? You're getting energy from the ground. Yeah, essentially. You, you're... Emma, did you roll your eyes while you said that? So, oh my god! No. Okay, I, do you want me to read an excerpt for the study? Yes, please. One. So. Grounding, or earthing, is the oldest and most basic form of natural bioelectric potential that supports physiological and electrophysiological changes in the body. 
given that we are this isn't part of the, the quote given that we are electrical beings it is is pretty powerful and people don't really consider that um anyway grounding or earthing is defined as placing one's bare feet on the ground especially when humid or wet whether it be dirt grass sand or concrete as people don't often oh. think um oh, no. or <laughs> it is known that the earth maintains a negative electric electrical potential on its surface when in direct contact with the ground, walking, sitting, or lying down on the Earth's surface, the Earth's electrons are conducted to the human body, bringing it to the same electrical potential as the Earth. Uh, living in direct contact with the Earth grounds the body, inducing favorable physiological electrophysiological changes that promote optimum health. Um, regulation of circadian rhythms, improved sleep, and nighttime cortisol dynamics reflect a few changes associated with favorable autonomic nervous system function that can come about with grounding. It's pretty, pretty cool. So this this brings up a few kind of a few topical issues for me because there's been a lot of um, a lot of chat on social media about kind of you know evidence base and science and and practices that people are recommending and there's been a lot of people actually like in in on social media who've been heavily criticised for recommending things that um, that kind of that they believe to be evidence-based but that other people would argue that the evidence isn't strong enough and that it doesn't have enough kind of um, impact to actually warrant the kind of things that they're saying so I think something that's always good to caveat when we're talking about kind of stuff like this is that because what a lot of people argue is that okay well what's the harm in doing all of these things there's no harm but then Mm. there are when you recommend certain practices sometimes you know if you oversell the benefits of something then it can be it can be by default harmful because then people might say things like, oh, well, I'm going to stop taking my medication because actually, mm. you know, the, the typical example is, is kind of the the food is medicine tagline that, that a lot of people kind of are using at the moment. And, you know, if we if we believe that turmeric, for example, um, has, you know, special properties, then we might not take our blood pressure medication. Um, and so I just think like the one thing that I would say is really important to caveat is that I'm actually a really big fan of doing stuff in case it has a benefit. Like you're not going to lose anything by doing any of this stuff. But I think just what's really important to emphasize is that we're not saying that that this is replacing anything else or Mm -hmm. that this is kind of, that this is just, again, you know, getting a decent night's sleep is never going to cause you harm unless you decide that because you're getting a decent night's sleep, you are invincible or you don't have to take your medication or all of those sorts of things. Um, and I, like I, I feel it's kind of important to caveat that in the current climate of the information that's out there. Um, and I know that sounds like a bit of an over-the-top caveat, but I've seen a lot of people talking about this recently, and I think it's important that we stay on the right side of that argument. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I am waiting for more people to dig into grounding, because at the moment, there hasn't been a ton of, of research on it. The research that's been done does seem pretty decent mm-hmm. but there's not enough to be able to go oh this is sick and there's one there's an area they've really they've studied it which is the, the area that you just flagged where people would look at it and be like oh shit like you know you know so yeah here we go grounding is the the most desirable and suitable intervention for both reducing blood viscosity and reducing inflammation simultaneously um, grounding to the soil represents yet another intervention that lowers blood viscosity by raising zeta potential, which results in a decrease in red blood cell aggregation. There's going to be some people that read that and go, oh my God, sweet, I don't need to take my, my medication because I can yeah. just go outside and stand on the run. Oh dear, 
there's not it, like the effect it had was not anything comparable to a drug. Yeah, it was like noticeable, but it was like okay, sweet. They you have to actually dig into that study to actually get that. Yeah. So they they were kind of like yes, sweet. You know, don't worry about um, taking blood, uh, medication for higher blood viscosity because granny's got you sorted. So actually, they even note that it's not actually that powerful, mm. but there's, there's an effect. So maybe in conjunction with maybe you could use less medication. Yeah. Or something like that. But you'd still have to do it in conjunction with your, your doctor. Yeah. You couldn't mm. couldn't make the decision right. So I'm 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 hundred percent agree because I'm big on if I put a study into a presentation I'm doing, I'm gonna fucking grill that study. <laughs> and I I'll always go, Okay, this, you know, here's this study, okay, this is cool. And now here's what's wrong with it. okay, that's not a great study. Okay, here's a few things that are wrong with it, but actually overall, you know, that's not too bad. Yeah. Um but this one was was interesting, but there's not enough to be able to say, okay, sweet grounding's a really viable option for reducing blood viscosity. And I think that's so. always what I want to make sure that we do is that we look at we look at evidence and we look at studies and we go, okay, these are the positives and these are the negatives, rather than kind of sensationalising stuff and going, oh, by just simply getting enough electrons, you can revolutionise <laughs> your entire life. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. that's kind of my that's my yeah, sure. my two cents, I, I suppose. I um, agree. So, to, it, sorry. Well, I was going to say, like the um, I, I, ultimately, I think it comes down to when people implement this, doing it because there are tangible effects. Like you can measure HRV and see that. Oh my god! Like it does acutely go up when you start grounding. That's cool. It's all short-lived. Like they notice that. So all the effects from grounding are like it's temporary, and then it will drop right down, which is why you've got to be consistent with it. But it's. I think it's the most important thing is when i get people to do it i get them to do it outside i get them to put their phone down i get them to meditate i get them to breathe i get them to stand in daylight and i think it's all that that has the biggest effect <laughs> um, and also the huge effect of placebo that if you know you've yeah. told them to do it you've told them the benefits you think it's going to work yeah. and they've bought into it yeah. then it probably will work yeah. and yeah. also one thing that i would just that i would also ask something that we often hear from from people is stuff like well you know, people have been doing physique competitions and and um, and training for for decades and decades and decades without any of this stuff. Um, you know, we often hear the the stuff like, "Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger never did all this. He just ate chicken and rice and and went to the gym." Um, what what do we say in response to that? I would say that I've had, and this is where I was kind of like, the test will be if, if, if you know, if I can prove that this stuff works. And so far, <laughs> I've put a number of people through photo shoots and gone stage that have prepped with people in the past and really, really suffered. And the way, when I've implemented this stuff, I've, and people are going to take my word for it, I've said this on social media, you can reach out and ask them to confirm it. We've been able to we do will. better. No, I'm we, 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 but we've been able to do better than what they did with those previous coaches, and in a really enjoyable, stress-free manner okay. by implementing this stuff. It, it does seem to work, and I think like AJ would account for that as well. It it, it, it does work, and that's where I would I would say it's more than the one percent. I think if people start really caring for their sleep, really caring for their nervous system, because ultimately, and this is one of the things I say. Your nervous system underpins absolutely everything. Like if you want to go into the gym and perform, it's your nerve. It's not your muscles that are doing that. It's your nervous system that's controlling all that. It's your nervous system that you've got to. It's, it's controlling your digestion. It's controlling sleep. It's controlling arguably your immune system. All this stuff. And I think if people do stuff to respect that more, 
everything's going to be better, and it seems like we seem to have evidence for that. Cool. Proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and there, I, I really do think there's going to be more research coming out where they'll, be, they'll study this more and be like, oh, shit, yeah, actually, that is true. So to round up, what are our take-home messages? I w- I'm going to hazard a guess. Get more sleep. sleep. Or yeah. sleep Sleep better. is way more than the 1%. Um, yeah. Go outside as much as you can. Yeah. Um, that is the best thing you can do for sleep. And, and like, meditate, I would say, is another thing. People people going... There's not a lot of people... Are they, do, you, do you guys meditate? I try. I, I fall asleep. Yeah. My it's, automatic well, subscription to Headspace just renewed and I haven't used it for over a year and I'm furious. I must say, I got this recommendation off the media. Unplugged meditation app's actually really good. Unplugged? Um, do I have to pay for it? Uh, you can you do a free seven-day trial and you get access to the whole app and then you do have to pay for it. Um, I've just paid it's, £70 pounds for Headspace because I didn't even get the cheap, discount. cheaper than Headspace. Well, it's Way too late, isn't it? We'll do it next yeah, year. Yeah. But it's, it's, it, that one's good for people that want it. Um, and but but meditation and sleep like there's a lot I could have got into that if people are wanting to go into this stuff we will talk about it in our seminars but meditation has been shown to help sleep a lot and it's free and can it, I just say that I went to a sleep pod that was full of salty water and floated in it for an hour yeah and that yeah and that Epsom salts are another one as well and I fell asleep yeah that's 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 on my that sleep strategy sheets I give people is like using Epsom salts because it's a it's a, a massive dose of bioavailable magnesium that can has been shown to help sleep but also quite stingy though yeah it's it's interesting but it does work it's been, it's been shown any other take home messages for the listeners um, get outside more grounding does seem to have an effect but don't disregard all your medication if you uh breathing pretty screw dieting and exercise i'm just gonna stand outside yeah Yeah, i mean i think the biggest one was like sleep of like you know if you want to maximize your your chance of you know being as healthy as you can be and building as much muscle as you can be make sure you sleep because it's digit you know i will pass that on to my toddler thank you that's one of the reasons Uh, that it's a thing of like why the why do we grow so much during our early years? Because they get so much damn sleep, and then everyone's like, oh, "Okay, I'll, I'll sacrifice sleep when I'm on a contest prep, and I'm trying to preserve muscle because I've got to get up and do my cardio." It's like, oh, "Okay, nice one, mate. You just shot yourself in the foot there." But what about naps? <laughs> naps work. I mean, they've been shown people can miss time naps and really mess up their, you know, circadian rhythm, their sleep rhythm, because um, you can basically. Where I said there was that two-process model. It seems like if you have a nap that's too long or too late in the day, you can prematurely clear out a load of, you know, adenosine that's basically going to be built up to make you drowsy. And you can basically prematurely clear that out, which is what happens when we sleep. And then it makes getting to sleep harder later in the day, which is what people tend to see. Um, so I would, I would, I would say, if you have naps, make sure you don't overdo it because you can st- stimulate jet lag prematurely, clear out adenosine and if you you know you get into the nitty-gritty of like deep sleep and all that stuff if you get into deep sleep you become essentially insulin resistant and if you like get into uh well you do become insulin resistant if you then get jolted awake out of deep sleep from a nap which can happen when people have a nap and they feel really groggy they might not set themselves up particularly well for their next meal and that's not suggesting that insulin sensitivity is 
is like underpinning fat loss or anything like that, but it's not the best thing to, to kind of lower. So agreed. Um, so yeah, I would uh, I would be I'd be strategic with them. Be careful. Okay, cool. So sleep, grounding, meditation, and it's that. pronounced GIF. Um, so on that note, we're going to round up today's podcast. Thank you so much to Luke Hoffman. Thank for, you, Luke. Um, Thank you very much for spending your time with us. I hope it was interesting. It was yeah, interesting. I, I never know if, if people find it interesting or not. You wouldn't know by Mike's voice. It was interesting. Well, <laughs> I do find it interesting, but I don't. I don't like to get too overexcited about things because then about it, anything about ever. anything because then when you do get overexcited. It means more to people, so I save it up for special occasions. Mm. Um, so thank you very much, Luke. Thanks, Dan and Emma. We've had a lovely time recording the podcast. Um, if you liked it, don't forget to like it. No, don't forget to rate it and review it. Mm. And tag us on your Insta stories. Tell us what yeah. you think of it. If you've got any other ideas, stuff that you want to hear, do let us know. And Luke, for the benefit of the listeners, where can people find you on the internet? So I'm pretty much exclusively active on Instagram under Luke underscore the Muscle Mentors. Um, and if people like this stuff and they're co- and your coaches, then we are doing a seminar in London in October where we go real. I talk about this stuff for about eight hours um, across the two days, and it's quite intense. Um, wow! But if if people like that, then then let me you know, drop me an email and you can become cool. Because it's quite slim. Right. Thank you very much, guys. We're going to end by saying bye. 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 bye.